Um, so last week we spent some time praying about things going around the world. We spent like 30, 45 minutes doing that. We're not going to do that this morning, but I just want to encourage you guys to keep praying. Um, I think sometimes we get really comfortable in our day-to-day lives in America and what's going on in our families, and we're busy, and we don't realize what is really going on. I was watching the news yesterday, and they had these Jewish ladies that were survivors of the Holocaust. Some of the last known living survivors of the Holocaust live in Ukraine. You ever been through something in your life as a kid, and then as an adult, you go through something similar and it triggers you? Think about what they're going through. They watched an evil man start taking over territory for no reason, and what did it lead to? It led to their people being killed by the millions. Can you imagine what those women are going through? And then there's men too, but what I saw was just women. They were crawling out of bunkers in Ukraine. So Ukraine and Russia signed a ceasefire on Thursday to allow people to get out. And Putin kept bombing. Signed the ceasefire and kept bombing. There's videos coming out of press trying to leave those areas that they're trying to get out of. And a Russian tank pulls up on the highway, stops them, and points the gun, the turret, right at them. Can you imagine that? And soldiers get out and get on their hands and knees with their guns pointed at them. We have to keep praying for this. And if you think this doesn't affect you, it affects everything. Every adult in here knows what it's affecting in our pocketbooks right now. Just go to the gas station. I'm not getting political here, I promise. But yesterday, the prime minister of Israel went to meet with Putin. The prime minister of Israel, and Israel as a nation, is on board with us, telling Russia they're doing wrong providing weapons to Ukraine, providing, you know, being okay, good with the sanctions against them, all that stuff that we may or may not fully understand. But the point is, he has the courage to go sit down with this man and tell him, stop, you've got to stop. And he's trying to broker peace. And you may not understand what that could mean for our future if Putin says, I don't like you, and I'm going to invade Israel. That would be the Gog-Magog war. So, There's a lot of stuff we're talking about you may or may not understand, but you need to be praying for our world leaders right now. Every statement that comes out of someone's mouth could be the difference between, it can change our future. Everything that comes out of their mouths. So let's be diligent in praying for these people, these people that are innocent, that are suffering, people who are making extremely poor decisions. There's evil. There's no way to explain what's happened to this man other than being evil. It's, it's, it's so much like what your grandparents would have watched Hitler do. So we got to keep being diligent and praying for them, okay? All right. So the last two weeks, anybody, know, anybody remember what we talked about? I mean, if we've forgotten that quick. We talked about Jesus. Good job, Don. Someone was listening. We talked about Jesus. Thank you, Elijah. Welcome, Elijah. How are you today? (laughs) We talked about what it means to believe. We spent two weeks on it. I'm going to sum up Sermon 1. The sinner's prayer, awesome, may still lead you to hell. If you didn't hear it, you got to go back and listen to get the full context of that. 
Week number two, you believe in Jesus? Congratulations, so do demons. Okay, I just summed up two weeks worth of preaching in two sentences. And I know those are controversial statements, but maybe if you didn't hear, you'll go back and listen. Or if you heard, you remember now. All right, so we spent a considerable amount of time on the topic of what it truly, truly means to be a believer. Not what you were taught, but what the Bible teaches. So at this point, I'm going to guess you fall into one of a couple of categories. Don't raise your hand, please. A, you either don't believe at all, and you're only here because someone made you come. Number two, you believe, but you still hadn't jumped on board with that obey part. Number three, you believe, and you're convicted that you need to do something, make some changes, that there's more to this. Maybe number four is you believe you're doing something and you feel really good about where you are because it just affirmed that you're doing the right things. But I'm afraid there's a fifth category. I think there's a fifth category. I believe. I'm doing my best to obey. I'm doing something. I'm giving it all I've got, but I don't know if I'm doing enough. I don't know if I'm fulfilling my purpose. I don't know if I have a purpose. Anybody fit in that category? Maybe the enemy enemy has convinced you that you're going through the motions and you're trying the best you can based on what we talked about, but you just don't see anything coming out of it. So it's kind of disheartening or depressing. Maybe you know your purpose. Maybe God promised something. Anybody got a promise from God in the past that hasn't come true yet? Okay. But you just can't seem to break through. You're kind of stuck. I got a promise. I know I have a purpose, but I'm just kind of stuck or I'm stagnant. Or maybe the opposition from the enemy is so big, you just can't break through. So that's what we're going to focus on today. And I'm going to start with a promise. Anybody ever heard of Jeremiah 29, 11? For I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. They are plans for good and not for disaster to give you a future and a hope. We're going to start there. God has made a promise to each of us that follow and obey Jesus. I'm not suggesting he may have made a promise. I'm telling you he has made a promise to each of us that believe and agree to obey and follow Jesus. But today I want to be careful and I want to be clear of who I'm talking to. I'm talking to the crowd that's trying. Okay? If you don't believe, you might be motivated by this to believe, and I pray that that's the case. If you believe, but you don't obey, I hope this message will motivate you to do something. If you believe, you obey, and you're fulfilled with what you're doing for God, this motivate, hopefully this message will motivate you to stay on track. But I'm here today to talk to people that God has made a promise for them, or to them. You know you have a purpose, but you're just confused discouraged maybe a past event feels like it blocked it for you or interrupted it or totally destroyed where you were going maybe things went right for a while maybe things took a turn maybe nothing's ever seemed to go right in this journey for you maybe you just have no clue what your purpose is and you have no clue where to start looking for it So the first thing I want you to get in your head this morning, okay, everybody with me, the first thing I want you to get in your head is if you are a believer in Jesus, you are trying your best to obey Jesus, you're making changes in your life based on what you're learning out of Scripture, 
God has a plan for you. Guess what? Even if you're not a believer or you're not obeying, God has a plan for you, each of you. That song champion that Peyton sang, when Dante Bowe sings it, he said, you chose someone like me to carry your victory. God chose every one of you to carry his victory. Every one of us. It's up to us if we pick it up and carry it. But I want you to get in your head, God has a plan for each of our lives, no matter where you fall in those categories, okay? He has a plan for your life. But if you're tracking with me on that, I know I have a plan. I'm trying my best. I don't know what to do next. I'm going to call that the wilderness, okay? Does anybody know what the wilderness is? The Israelites traveled for how many years in the wilderness? Forty years. Forty years in the wilderness between Egypt and going into Israel or to Canaan, to the promised land. The second thing, the first thing I told you is God has a plan for you. The second thing I want to tell you is if you believe, you're obeying, you're trying, God is not mad at you. God has not abandoned you. You didn't do something wrong, okay? Can you get that in your head? I'm going to prove it to you with Scripture with some examples this morning. You've not been abandoned by God. You're not being punished. But maybe, just maybe, he's preparing you for something that you don't think you're capable of doing. Something super important for a time such as this when our world is about to be in extreme chaos. Now, if you don't believe in Jesus or you don't obey Jesus and you don't even try, you're going to be in the wilderness for a lot longer than 40 years. You're going to be there your whole life. Have fun. Good luck. Hope it works out. But if you're obeying Jesus, and I'm not talking about being perfect, we've got to take that label off. Remember, we got that extreme where I'm working so hard, but I don't feel good enough. Take that label off. If you are trying to obey Jesus, you're making changes, which is repenting. You remain faithful to him no matter what. We talked about that the last two weeks. And you feel like you're in a wilderness, aimlessly wandering around. Anybody feel like that? You've not been abandoned. You've not been punished. You are being prepared. Do you get that? You're being prepared, okay? You're being prepared for a purpose, maybe for your calling, for something important that God needs from you. Now, it may not play out the way you want it to or the way you designed it. Definitely probably ain't going to play out in the timing you want. just doesn't seem to ever happen that way. So the first thing we got to go do is let go of those expectations. Let go of your expectations of what God wants from you. I'm not. I'm saying if He made a promise, you stand on that promise. But let go of how you think you got to get there and how long it's going to take. Because I don't know how to get there. Stuck in the wilderness, man. This is taking longer than I thought. Stuck in the wilderness, Satan's won the battle. But if I say I don't know everything I got to do, God keep preparing me. I'm winning. I don't know how long this is going to take, but I'm going to persevere. I'm winning. So my goal today is to give, convince you to actually embrace this. Can you embrace a wilderness? Can you embrace this season? Maybe you're in it now. Maybe you're not in one, but you're going to be in one later, so you need to be prepared for it. 
Maybe you can look back today and see a past season differently than you've seen it so far. Maybe you looked at it as failure, but after today you can look back and say, that prepared me. I get it now. I plan to prosper you and not harm you. Doesn't mean roses, lollipops, and mocha lattes, right? (laughs) But here's the problem with that scripture. That scripture's been misconstrued to give a false hope. If we dissect that verse into what the Hebrew words actually meant, you know, that part of the Bible would have been written in Hebrew. I know that we think English is the only language on earth, but hopefully by now you know that I like to dissect these verses a little bit to see what God was really trying to say to us when a man went, I think I'm going to make it say this because this is what I want it to say, which was pretty much Roman Catholics. I digress. This verse has been changed a little bit. If you look, I'm going to paraphrase, if you put it into Hebrew, basically it says, I, God, have a plan for you, a plan of completeness. Not completeness of you, but completeness of what? His will. Big difference of, I got a plan for you, you, you. I got a plan for you, but it's to complete my will. And not to complete the plan of evil. To give you an expected time, an expected end. See, God has a plan to use you for his completeness, not for you to be used for evil, and he's going to do it in his time. Do you get that? It's a little different than the verse that you heard me say earlier. I'm going to reread it again. God has a plan to use you for his completeness that you may not understand. Not for any of you to be used for evil. His plan is for you not to be used for evil. Doesn't say evil won't come against you. Says you, his plan is that you won't be used for evil. And he will do it in his time. And guess what? That's what gives us hope. God has a complete plan. I get to be a part of it. I'm not going to go do evil. And it's going to happen in his timing when he wants. Gives a little bit different perspective on that verse. I'm going to keep going over in case you didn't get it. You know, a few weeks ago, I kind of hammered the King James Version because it said to believe Jesus, you go to heaven, and not believe you don't go, but we looked at the NLT. It was translated wrong in the King James. It was believe and obey, which changed the meaning. Same thing here, but this time I'm going to kind of hammer all translations. Let's read it from the NIV because that's the one I think we hear the most. It says, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you. That sounds a little different than the Hebrew meaning. Plans to prosper you versus complete my will. Not to harm you. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Versus complete my will and not be used for evil. Do you see the difference? That's a huge difference. God has a plan for you for his completeness, not for you to be used for evil. And he'll do it in his time. But most of our translations say you won't be harmed. You won't have disaster. But that's not what God said. He said he has a plan to complete his will and you won't be used for evil. I'm going to keep hammering it. (laughs) In fact, if I look at people in the Bible and you want to be a part of completing God's will, you most likely will have harm and disaster come your way. Once again, awesome sales pitch for following Jesus. 
but it's a reality that we've got to get our arms around. It's about understanding and having the correct expectations because if we read this wrong or with the wrong meaning and then harm happens to us, we say, well, wait a second. Did I do something wrong? Did I not understand it? Was God's word not correct? Think about it. If we read that as he has a plan not to harm you and then you come over here and you're obeying Jesus and you get harmed, what are you going to do? I didn't do something right. I screwed up. It wasn't good enough. Or, as many people will do, I don't trust the Word of God anymore. Have I not prayed enough? But we got to get that out of our heads. Unless you have blatant sin in your life. If you're blatant doing something wrong, then you need to repent and change of that. But it, I'm assuming at this point we're making the changes... We've turned away from those bad things, and we've got to get it out of our head that we're not good enough or we haven't done enough because something bad has happened. If you're pursuing God with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your soul, your circumstances, good or bad, shouldn't you change your determination. Good thing happened to me? Following God. Bad thing happened to me? Going to follow God. Shouldn't change. Shouldn't change your faithfulness. I believe God has a perfect plan. I don't understand what I'm going through right now. It's tough, but I believe he has a perfect plan. I'm going to be used as part of that. That's faithfulness. Everything's going really good right now. I'm a part of God's plan. That's faithfulness. We can't allow Satan to pull us away from our determination, our faithfulness, our dedication. And if I were to add on to that scripture paraphrase a little bit, it might sound like you may not understand what you're going to go through every day. You may not understand God's timing but it's to accomplish his will. We may not understand why a man named Putin would invade a country right now and innocent people would die, but it may be part of God's will because the end times talks about things like that happening. And I'll never get my arms around it, but I don't have to. I'm supposed to do my part, show up where God wants me to show up and help complete his will, no matter if I agree with it, disagree with it, understand it, don't understand it. Are you getting this? I don't understand what all I got to go through. I don't understand his timing. I don't understand his will, but I know I have a part in it. And he doesn't want me to do evil. He wants me to do what he wants me to do. And many people in the Bible had to persevere through wilderness seasons. They had to persevere really bad things, harmful things. Why? Why do we sometimes have to persevere through tough things? Yeah, what does testing do? It makes us stronger. It prepares us. Sometimes we need to go through tough things to prepare us to complete God's will. See, it's not about your purpose. I'm going to say something that's going to go against some things you've heard in church. It's not about your purpose. That's selfish. Okay? It's about allowing God to use you to accomplish His will. Do you see the difference? One's all about you. I'm not selfish. I'm out here fulfilling my purpose for God. No, it's not about me. I'm out here doing everything I can to complete God's will, not my purpose. Do you understand that? I'm not saying saying the words my purpose for God is a bad thing. I'm trying to get your mind in the right place. Let's look at a few examples. Anybody heard of Joseph? Anybody know who Joseph is? Joseph started out as a servant. 
He worked for his father, worked for his brothers and half-brothers. Joseph reported to his father the bad things his brothers did. Joseph was a tattletale, okay? Joseph gets a really nice present that his brothers didn't get, a beautiful robe. Yes, Joseph's father's Jacob. Thank you, Parker. So Joseph gets this nice present his brothers didn't get, and maybe he feels a little entitled, maybe a little snooty, maybe a little better than his brothers. He walks out there, look at my coat of many colors. Daddy likes me better. He's the spoiled little baby. Anybody got a spoiled little baby in here? Anybody been the spoiled little baby in here? The golden child? Joseph was the golden child. Oh, but he had a, he had a dream. He had a dream that was a promise. His brothers were going to bow down to him. Okay? So now he has a second dream that everything's going to bow to him. So if God promotes him right now at that point to his destiny, right now at that point in his life, is he ready? Probably not because we've got a little tattletale, a little bit entitled, a little proud, and thinks everybody should bow before him. Welcome to most leaders in the world right now. I think it would have produced a pretty insecure, probably narcissistic leader. Then he's beaten almost to death. Let's sell him while he's still worth something. I mean, we beat him to death, but we see these guys over here we can sell him to. Let's sell him as a slave. He's purchased by a man in Egypt named Potiphar. Potiphar was the captain of the guard of the most powerful man on earth. The most powerful man on earth is Pharaoh. Potiphar is in charge of the guard that guards Pharaoh, the, guard, the men. Very powerful man. Potiphar notices something special about Joseph. He's blessed in everything he does. Potiphar puts him in charge. He trusts him, puts him in charge of his house and his property. Think about this. A foreigner has come into the land. I bought him, but I trust him so much I put him over everything. Things are going good. Joseph's almost killed. He's sold into slavery. Now he's in charge of the house of the captain of the guard, the most powerful man in the world. He had a rough patch, but things are good, right? Then Potiphar's wife says, I like that Hebrew man. I want him. Says she seduced Joseph day after day. But not one time, day after day, did he cave. He stood firm. I'm going to ask a question to most of the men in here. Do not answer this. How many of us could withstand that? This powerful lady seducing you every day. Maybe you could do it once, twice, but it would be very difficult. But Joseph stayed true. So she says, he tried to rape me. Potiphar sends him to prison. So now you got this guy named Joseph. He says, I did nothing wrong. I had a dream. Told my brothers I got beat almost to death. Then I was sold into slavery. But then I got elevated to the right-hand man to Potiphar. And now I'm thrown in prison. And all I did was the right thing. I did nothing wrong. Do you think Joseph questioned God? Do you think he questioned his dream? Scripture doesn't say he did. It says he remained true. By the way, anybody research what a prison would have looked like in that day? For the sake of time, I'm not going to go into it, but it's not the country clubs we have today. 
where they got a TV, somewhat decent food, a workout room, basketball courts. You know, my uncle was a repeat criminal. And one time when I was a kid, I said, why do you keep doing stupid things that send you to jail? You know what his response was? Jail's more comfortable than my outside life. Because in jail, I know I'm going to sleep eight hours a night. I'm going to get up. I'm going to have three meals a day. Hopefully, I'm not going to get shanked. <laughs> I'm going to stay out of everybody's business. And I get a place over, roof over my head and three square meals a day. See, that's, that's, it's a different, it was a different prison back then. It, was, it, was, it said it, when he was sold into slavery, he got put in a cistern. You know what a cistern is? It's a jug that holds water. Go stick yourself in a cistern. It's tight, it's small, it's damp, it's cold, it's probably nasty smelling. And they gave him just enough food to survive, to not die. Okay, one day two guys show up. I had a dream. Can you interpret it? Yes, you're going to die. I had a dream too. Can you interpret that? <laughs> you're going to live. But don't you think Joseph could have been really bitter by this point? What if he would have said, yeah, you had a dream. You had a dream. Yeah, I had a dream too one time. Bug off. Get out of my face. I don't care about your stupid dreams, but he didn't. He obeyed God. He interpreted their dreams. You're going to die. You're going to live. By the way, when you live, remember me. <laughs> Please remember. Tell, tell Pharaoh about me that I helped restore his cup guy. You know, cup, the cup bearer is pretty important. He's the guy that tested the king's drink to make sure it wasn't poison. That's a pretty trusted guy. So when you go back and you're testing his drinks, tell him about me that I did the right thing. And guess what the guy did? Forgot. But Joseph remained faithful. He continued to follow God. And you know what? Joseph didn't have this. He didn't have any God followers with him. He was in a foreign land. He didn't have a church, a preacher. didn't have any family. They had sold him. They hated him. He didn't have any friends. He didn't have anything. He's sitting in a jail rotting, but he didn't lose his faith. He continued to follow God. He was obedient. Two more years pass. So get this, the more Joseph obeys, the worse things get. But he didn't quit. You getting my point? Two years pass. Pharaoh, the most powerful man in the world, has a bad dream. Then he has another one. No one can interpret him. Trusted cupbearer says, oh, I remember a guy. I was supposed to tell you about him. I remember this guy. Two years ago, hope he's not dead. Let's go find him. He can interpret your dreams. Joseph interprets Pharaoh's dreams. So now he's interpreted four dreams of others while not seeing his own dream come to fruition. How many of you are willing to help someone else accomplish their dreams and their purpose, not even caring that you haven't gotten yours fulfilled yet? Maybe if we had that attitude, God would let you fulfill yours. Four dreams he's interpreted while he's waiting on his own. Ends up elevating to number two in the world. Famine hits. His brothers bow to him completes his dream the world bows to him he's number two in the world divvying out food second dream anybody know how long between the first dream and completion somebody knows this come on 24 plus years some of y'all and me can't make it 24 hours 
24 years. And don't tell me, well, that was back then. A year didn't take as long. Bull crap. They didn't have all the stuff to entertain them we had. He's sitting in jail rotting a lot of that time. That would have been torture. It would have gone, days would have gone by extremely slow. What's my point? The point is, man, it's easy to find God at church in America. It's easy to find God when things are going good. But what about with the times when somebody's lying about you, when things are happening to you that shouldn't, when you're getting accused of things you didn't do, when you're getting hurt physically, mentally, emotionally, spiritually, you lose your job, you lose a family member or your whole family or your kids puking all hours of the night. Will you obey like Joseph did? That's just a story in the Bible, Jason. It's just history. Do you know that story affects each of you? Because one of those brothers that got to eat because Joseph fulfilled his purpose was a man named Judah. Jesus Christ, your Savior, came out of that line. If Joseph hadn't obeyed God, there would have been nobody to feed Judah. Judah would have died and Jesus didn't happen. That's why the story of Joseph matters to you. It should matter to you for more than one reason. Jesus comes out of it, and it's a prime example of what happens when you just obey God when it doesn't make sense. We never, not one time do we have Joseph grumbling. Not one time. Not one time in Scripture does he say, why, God? Want another one? Job. It says in the beginning of Job, he was a blameless man complete, with complete integrity. And God allowed him to be tested. And he lost everything but his life. He lost his possessions. He lost his fa- His kids were killed. But he remained faithful. And I want to call that a bit of a wilderness season for him. He didn't understand why, but he remained faithful. His friends are showing up telling him everything he's done wrong. And he was rewarded at the end of that book with more during the second half of his life than he had in the first half. It says he died living a long, full life. So my whole life I thought, why did Job have to go through that? And I brought that up to my family yesterday, and Peyton said it tells us. We missed this little detail that says Job's kid, kids partied so much that after they partied, Job had to go give sacrifices for them because of their sin. So see, Job's family wasn't blameless. By the way, when, when these bad things started happening, what was it his wife said? She said, curse God. Curse him and die. Are you still trying to maintain your integrity? Job was blameless and had integrity, but not everyone around him. And God kind of took care of some of that for him to give him a better life and to prove to Satan, my guy's faithful to me and he won't cave. Jesus Baptized, Holy Spirit descends on him. Holy Spirit leads him into the wilderness to break him down. Wear him out. Let Satan himself tempt Jesus. If you're going to be the Savior of the world, you've got to be able to what? Withstand temptation. <laughs> right? You're the guy. Even Jesus as a human had to be tempted. And it was all to fulfill these men's purpose. They had to go through these wilderness experiences For Joseph, it was 24 years. For Job, I'm not sure how many years. For Jesus, it was 40 days. Your wildernesses might not be the same time frame because God is completing his plan, not your plan, but his purpose, not necessarily your purpose. Abraham almost had to kill a son. 
Thank you, Parker. Let's look at David and Saul because this one's a little different, okay? Saul was elevated to king with no wilderness. There was no temptation to Saul. Saul was never tested. He was elevated to king. David, on the other hand, went through a wilderness. He literally lived in the wilderness. He'd done nothing wrong. He'd been a servant. He killed Goliath when no one else would, faithfully served Saul, and Saul got jealous. He's out in the wilderness, and right before David has a breakthrough, some people come and kidnap David's whole family, and the only men he's got left that want to fight with him are ready to kill David. But David remained faithful. Saul wins his first victory. Saul builds a monument to himself and quickly loses God. David perseveres his wilderness, becomes a great king, makes some mistakes, but he's humble and repentant through his mistakes. Do you see the difference? Saul had no wilderness. He was elevated too quickly, and his character didn't match up, and he failed, and he's out, and God sent tormenting spirits for him. David, on the other hand, goes through his wilderness, perseveres, and gets rewarded by being the great king. Also, in the lineage of Jesus. I could go on and on and on and on about people in the wilderness. They had to go through the wilderness to get to the point they fulfilled God's will. So I hope you're getting encouraged today. If you're in the wilderness, you're in the right place. You're in a good place. You may not understand it. But I'm going to look at one more example. This is the obvious one. Moses and the Israelites, they leave Egypt. God delivers them out of Egypt with a miracle. The death angel comes, doesn't touch them. You got all these plagues. The death angel comes. God takes them out of Israel, protects them, opens the Red Sea, gives them food, gives them water, protects them with a cloud during the day, fire at night to see where they're going. He does all these miraculous things. But do you know how long that journey through the wilderness would take for you and me on foot? I've heard 11 days. I've heard 14 days. It wasn't that far. Now, it should have taken them a year because God knew they needed that time in the wilderness to, to get their character. They were slaves. That's all they'd ever known, and God needed to get that out of them. But do you know how long they turned their journey into? 40 years. It should have been one year. Turned it into 40. Why? Because they failed their test regularly. And often. And you know what else they did? This one's going to hurt a little bit. They complained. Oh, I can encourage you with you might be in a wilderness season but and just persevere through it. But now we're going to talk a little bit about complaining. So I don't know. I don't know by Scripture if you can shorten a wilderness season. I know you're going to go through them. But I do know by this story that you can certainly lengthen one. You have a part in this. A wilderness season is not a bad thing unless you lengthen it, <laughs> and then it can be a very bad thing. Let's look at 1 Corinthians 1.10. I'm going to paraphrase a lot of it. Paul is talking. He says, don't forget about our ancestors in the wilderness. He's talking about the Israelites. They were guided by a cloud at night. They walked through the sea on dry ground. They ate spiritual food that dropped from heaven. They drank spiritual water that came out of a rock. But God was not pleased with them. And then he tells why God wasn't pleased. And there's four major things they did wrong. This is verse 6. He says, These things happened.
happened is a warning to us. See, these things we read about are not just history. It's a warning so we know what to do or not to do. And he says the first thing they did wrong was they worshipped idols. They worshipped idols. That's a bad thing. It says then they engaged in sexual immorality. That's a bad thing. And then they put Jesus to the test. Oh, sometimes we do that. That's a bad thing. But here's number four that's going to kick you in the seat of your pants. And don't grumble as some of them did. Don't complain as some of them did. Do you understand that Paul just said complaining is right up there with sexual immorality and putting a God before God? That one hurts me. It hurts, should, probably hurts all of us. Because you may not be complaining out of your mouth, but how many of us are complaining in here and in here? So maybe we're in a wilderness season and we're lengthening it because we're doing some things we didn't know we shouldn't be doing. So some of us may be in that wilderness season and we're having complete faith that God's plan is timing are perfect, we're persevering. But how many of us are in the wilderness season, we're complaining, we're doing things wrong, and we're just prolonging it? What are we doing when we complain? When we complain to God about our circumstances or what's going on, we're telling him we know better. I don't trust you, God. We're not using those blatant terms, but that's what we're telling. We don't trust your perfect, complete plan. We got a better plan. And I'm not talking about when you're frustrated at somebody, it's blatantly sinning, and you're calling that out. I'm, I'm talking about when we out loud or in our hearts start complaining about where we are and how long it's taken. I'm doing everything God wanted me to do, and I just can't get there. You're complaining. Or I'm complaining. God's people complain constantly. We're better off in Egypt where we had all these things. God, we're getting the same freaking food every day. Give me some doves or something. Where in the heck did Moses go? Why has he been gone so long? Let's build a calf. <laughs> and God let him wander, and he'll do the same for each of us. He will let us wander. But let's turn it back. Hebrews 11.6 says, And it is impossible to please God without faith. Here we go, that faith word again. Anyone who wants to come to him must believe that God exists and that he rewards those who sincerely seek him. See, Joseph sincerely sought him time after time after time after time. And God rewarded him. Do you think when Joseph stood up there fulfilling that dream that he cared about all those years? I am helping my family live. God's people live. Jesus Christ, the Savior, is going to come out of this. I'm going to argue that if he looked back on that today, he would say, worth every moment. Because he sincerely sought God and he was rewarded. He, sincere, he rewards us who seek him diligently, sincerely. Not those who complain and give up. We talked a lot about giving up the last couple of weeks. Now we're talking about complaining and giving up. So here's where I'm going. We're getting close to the end. There's a promise. So God makes a promise. But then there's a plan that's got to get to the promise. And I'm going to call that a process mostly to develop our character. Then the promotion happens. But we want to be like Saul. We want the promise and we want the promotion. And we don't want to have to go, anything to get, go through anything to get there. 
but God knows us better than we know ourselves. When I was 23 years old, God called me into ministry. And for 13 years, I told him he had a stupid plan. 13 years. You know what I did? I ran. I chased my career. I chased money. That's called idols in front of God. I complained about the fact that he would even give me that. And I prolonged my wilderness journey. Then 13 years later, I submit to God. I started a new wilderness journey. I've been in a new one the last three years with this church. I don't have a clue what we're doing. I'm just trying to be obedient. And people hurt us and they walk away. You think I don't want to give up? No, because Joseph didn't give up. And I'm not going to give up. And you shouldn't give up. That's the maddest I've ever gotten in a sermon. (laughs) Don't say your pastor yelled at you. Broke his little thingy. Nine years ago, my character wasn't ready for a church. I was so insecure and full of guilt and shame in my past. If I would have gotten up here and tried to lead a church, it would have been a disaster. My first church job, I went in to call out the pastor for what he's doing wrong, and I cussed him. Think about that. That's a character flaw. That God had to take me through a wilderness. Did I do anything wrong before I walked in that office? I don't think so. But when I got tested, I failed. And I had to walk back into the wilderness and learn from that. Don't get down and give up. I haven't always understood this journey. I don't understand it today, but I can look back on each piece and say, this makes sense. It makes sense to me now why I had to go through that. So my question to you this morning is, are you going to be Joseph or are you going to be the people of Israel? Will you obey Worship, follow God no matter the circumstances, or are you going to complain, try to figure it out, get discouraged because you don't know your purpose? Maybe God's just trying to work on your character right now. God reveals himself to us in the wilderness. That testing is what exposes our dirtiness, our fears, our insecurities, and it produces faith. James 1.12 says God blesses those who, those who patiently endure testing and temptation afterward they will receive the crown of life that god promised to those who love him joseph patiently endured his testing and temptation and he got a crown of life first peter 1 6 through 7 peter says so be truly glad there's wonderful joy ahead even though you must endure many trials for a little while these trials will show you that your faith is genuine it is being tested as fire tests and purifies gold Your faith is far more precious than gold. Do you get that? Gold doesn't start out as gold. It has to be burnt. It has to be purified. And maybe we're going through the wilderness and we're being purified. Purified. Our fears are being exposed. Our insecurities, control, anger, whatever it is. And when we're going through the fire, it gets burned out of us. And now our faith comes out more pure and genuine. So if you're in the wilderness right now, praise God. Praise God. Embrace it. You're being purified. Your faith's growing. Your character's developing. Quit prolonging it. <laughs> Stop that today. Get on board with enjoying, and you'll get a reward. And this should encourage you. This should be a huge encouragement if you're in that season that it's okay. So, my final question to you this morning is can you have joy? And can you trust God when you feel like you're going through hell? 
when you feel like you're in that wilderness. Because when Jesus showed up in Revelations, he addressed the churches. And he chastised a lot of them because they were failing at this. But there's one church he talked to in Revelations 3.8. He said, I know all the things you do. And I've opened a door for you that no one else can close. You have little strength, yet you obeyed my word and did not deny me. That's the church we want to be. That's the church we want to be in your work, in your family, in, in, in everybody you talk to. They should see something different in you that you persevered the wilderness. And doors are going to be open for you that no one can close by Jesus if you persevere or give up or complain and stay there for the rest of your life. So, Father, I thank you that you give us these words. You give us these examples of these men and women that went through these testings. Things weren't always good. But you rewarded them, Father. So I pray that everyone sitting in here today, everyone who watches this online, will embrace the season of wilderness if they're in it or be prepared for the next season of wilderness or be thankful for the past seasons of wilderness. And I pray that we would have the strength to persevere, to grow our faith, to be purified like gold. Your children are like gold to you, Father. Allow us to embrace the purification process so we come out this beautiful gem that's worth more than anything. And help us to be patient with your timing for your will to be done. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.